Well, I am so honored to jump into part three today of our series, Uncommon Unity. There is a radical unity being discovered right now because of common experience. And we've been talking about um, this from a national perspective. And, you know, we really find life in the places where we share unity. And because there's unity right now in the nation, there is a movement being birthed out of that common experience. And what is that common experience? Well, I believe there was a prophetic declaration out of George Floyd's mouth as he laid there on, on the street before he lost his life. And, uh, and he declared, I can't breathe. And as he declared this, I can't breathe, there was a shared experience. There was a relatable moment because for the last three months, all of the world also felt like they couldn't breathe. They felt like they couldn't breathe under their mask. They felt like they couldn't breathe because they were sick. They felt like they couldn't breathe because of anxiety. They felt hemmed in. And in that moment of, 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 of an unjust death, we found that this experience was connected to people all over the world who were having an experience that was similar while having a very different outcome. And so out of this has catalyzed connection. It's catalyzed an awakening. It's catalyzed questions and, and observations. It's catalyzed empathy and it's catalyzed confrontation. It's catalyzed really a reformation that is on our doorstep. There is, a, this, there is an uncommon unity in the earth right now like we've never seen um, over racial equality. And so I think it's important for us to not just be aware of the of the social dynamics, but to be aware of the kingdom dynamics that are happening. What is God's perspective on what's going on? How is he involved? What is he doing? What is he moving? What is he adjusting? In this time of reset, there's been a radical unity for the first time in the world or first time in history, global history. Everyone is doing the same thing at the same time. We were in our homes, we were on lockdown. And so we're seeing in multiple instances that there is a shared experience that is creating a focus. And I tell you what, you need to pay attention right now, church. You need to pay attention to what God is doing and what God is saying, because it is important to have a kingdom perspective, not a political perspective, not a race perspective, not an economic perspective, not you know a party perspective, but a kingdom perspective, because behind that will be where life really is. And so I'm honored today to be presenting a panel. I have some tremendous guests with me today. And uh, our, our, the foundation of what we're going after is really out of Psalms 89, 80, Psalms 89, 14. And what this says is that, that righteousness and justice are in the foundation of the throne of God and that truth and mercy lead his face. I spent a lot of time in last week's message on the broadcast um, if, if you missed the broadcast from last week, I'd really encourage you to, uh, to listen to that because I spend a lot of time biblically breaking down the difference between justice and righteousness. And I talk about the relationship of the manifestation of righteousness and justice as it pertains to the leading of mercy and truth. Mercy and truth should always lead the countenance or the face of righteousness and justice for it to truly be kingdom. 
And, and so I want, I laid that foundation and today we're going to expand that. We're going to see it from different multiple views. And I'm just honored to have some tremendous guests on today that are going to allow us to really see this conversation come in bloom. And, uh, and this is really part three of this conversation. We did the, the voice of justice. Um, last week we did the relationship between righteousness and justice. And today, as we expand it, we're really going to see the needs of how justice can really be applied today in the earth. And so without further ado, I want to bring our panelists on. I'm so excited to have them. And uh, as they join here in the broadcast, I'll just begin to introduce them. And uh, starting here, uh, we'll start with Mr. Joseph Bataille first. Joseph, why don't you wave a hand so we know who, okay, the, the names are there now. Great. Joseph Bataille is a dear, dear friend. And uh, I, I've known Joseph since I believe I was eight years old. And uh, I think, Joseph, maybe you were three, I think, when we met. And, uh, and so our families have deep, deep history. And uh, Joseph's family has been pioneering and really bringing the kingdom of God in the great nation of Haiti. And uh, for now, uh, 45, 50 years of ministry um, from their family. And, and, uh, and so Joseph was raised here in the States for a lot of his life and uh, has a, a degree in international business at a Duke University, has now gone back to Haiti and been invested um, as a national director of World Relief and has done many great things, import, export, agriculture, solving problems, bringing solutions, involved with government and business and the local church. And so, uh, Joseph, just so honored to have you on. Welcome to the forum today. Next, I'll introduce Julia Winston. Julia is a newer connection. And I tell you what, Julia and I have become fast friends. First of all, this girl just loves to have fun, you guys. That's the thing. Julia, you're amazing. Let's just let's just get it out there. You're phenomenal. <laughs> but Julia's a brilliant entrepreneur, runs a consultancy called Brave uh, um, uh, Brave Consulting and uh, Precision, actually, is, uh, is the outfit that she's doing as she offers this service of really bringing uh, precise solutions by integrating faith-based solutions into business. And uh, she has tremendous clients, high profile people, and has really been creating a lot of opportunity for the kingdom of God to invade the business mountain. And uh, she's a powerful woman doing it. So honored to have you on uh, and, and on the broadcast today, Julia. And then uh, of course, Mr. Michael uh, Dalton is on the broadcast here today as well. He's the founder of, uh, of Yes International, and uh, he's involved in a church, uh, church leadership in Palm Springs. And uh, Michael's been ministering around the world in over, I believe, 60-some countries, you told me, Michael. Is that correct? And so he's got yes. a prophetic and apostolic uh, expression on his life, tremendous prophetic anointing. But he's been working to disciple nations, bringing solutions to nations, governments, the business world, the church world. And so the thing that all four of us have in common is that we're really, uh, all four of us are, are desiring to want to see synergy between those three mountains, the church world, the government world, and the business world. And so uh, I'm just excited. You guys are reformers. You guys are solutionaries. And uh, I'm just so honored to have you on the panel today. And uh, why don't we just say, do some greetings. Joseph, why don't you get us started, man? Why don't you say hello and talk about a few things you're excited about right now? Hey, good to be with everybody today. I really wish I could see everybody's faces. That's what I'm missing right now. But uh, it's just a pleasure to be a part of this panel and, and share just some thoughts about uh, what the Lord has been saying uh, to all of us during this time. 
Come on, so good. Julia, why don't you say hello? Hello, hello, hello. Hey, people. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, it's so wonderful to have Kingdom Conversations, and that's what I'm about. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the conversations that produce revelations and that then, you know, bring forth transformations in our world, right? So I'm excited for this. I'm just... I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what what the other panelists are going to say and how we just going to have a good time, you know, just bringing this truth and just hearing the Lord and releasing what he wants to say. So thank you for having me. Come on. So good to have you, Michael. Hello. Welcome to the broadcast, man. Well, brother, it's so good to be with you. Anytime we're talking about transformation, seeing God change hearts, mindsets, culture, and that's the business of the kingdom. And so I'm just thrilled. And to be with you three world changers just blesses me. So I'm going to be taking notes. And if you hear me use your stuff later, I will give you credit. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. You know, um, why, don't, why don't we just uh, open up here? I, I would love just to kind of hear some of your thoughts as far as, you know, um, how you've been, you know, e experiencing, uh, you know, COVID-19 and of course, um, you know, the, the, the need for justice right now. Um, I'm going to kind of tug on you guys prophetically before we get into the official questions. What have you guys generally been sensing as a response to the season that we're in? And uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone would love to know like kind of how you guys are doing and uh, and what you've been sensing is the opportunity uh, in the earth right now. Joseph, why don't you start us off, man? I knew you'd call me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was ready. Honestly, um, I'm actually, this has been a hard time in many ways, not for me personally, but I just watching everything that's going on in the world. But I'm actually excited about what's coming on beyond it, because I really do believe that there are a couple of things that God is working on healing in us right now. And I think that um, in many ways, our physical disconnection from one another has revealed our social and spiritual disconnection from one another. And people are no longer just thirsting for the opportunity to be side by side with one another, but they're recognizing that we need to return to genuine connection. And I do believe that the Lord, especially in the body, is restoring in our hearts um, this desire for deep and real community. I, I already see it through you know, my own church community and for all, all the people that I that I'm in contact with. And I'm really excited about what's going to happen beyond now. Come on. That is so good. What, what, a uh, that need for connection, man. I, I tell you, what, I've been feeling that, a uh, that awakening everyone, when you start to get around people, I feel like there's just something that just leaps in the spirit. You know, when you actually are physically seeing people now that maybe you didn't see for a while and uh, yeah. Melissa and I were able to get out to dinner with some friends uh, last night that we hadn't seen in quite a bit. And it was just, it was amazing. And, and I feel like it is not just, I missed you, but there is an openness right now in a new way that we haven't had before. And so I love that observation there, Joseph. Julia, what about you? What have you been sensing in the times and seasons kind of more prophetically? What's the opportunity in front of us? What, uh, what, what's the Lord been speaking to you? Yeah, so um, I love what Joseph said about this return to connection um, being genuine. And I think the reason that we are turning towards connection with each other for a more genuine, in a more genuine way is because we had to turn internally and get quiet with the Father and mm -hmm. genuinely connect with Him. 
And that's what I've just been sensing like that this has been a time, this whole, the span, whenever you wanna say like this thing kind of fully blew up and first with COVID and then all the other things that kind of came, it has had us turn internally and examine our real relationship with the father. And he has been connecting with us in a different way and a, and a more genuine and, and deeper way. And so because we're connecting with him that way, then we have this desire to connect with others. And so it's just been really, for me, it's just been this watch and pray. I've been a lot quieter, um, not because I don't have something to say, because you, you know me, I have, you know, I can do that. Um, but it's just been, it's just been a listening for what does God have to say? So instead of me having an opinion, instead of me having a, a voice, instead of me verbally processing my own thoughts, which have been difficult, has been messy. And I feel like what's been happening is that there is a beauty that's coming from the messiness. And what we are experiencing is that God is not afraid of the messiness because he hovered over mess and created something. So this is his speciality. So he knows he, you know, he's not, he's not new. He's not, this is not his first rodeo, right? So, but I feel like that he was, that's what's happening that we're seeing that there's a beauty that's coming from this messiness. And I love what Joseph said. I get, I was so excited and I was, I was looking around and I had to temper myself because I was like, oh, this is exciting because this is what we've been praying for. We are seeing literal answers to prayer of truth and justice and truth being revealed and things coming to the surface and all of those things. But it looks messy when it's revealed. And then it's like, well, what do we do now? So um, so I got excited because I'm like, this is answered prayer. Every time I see answered prayer, I just get excited. And so that's what I've been seeing, that this has been an answered prayer for people to have more genuine connection with God, for people to have more genuine connection with each other, and for people to learn how to create through mess, right? Mm. Through a messy situation. So yeah, that's what that's 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 what I've been getting. And it's it's exciting because God is on the move, the kingdom is advancing. So let's go. Come on, Julia, that's so good. You know, God God, God can, you know, I think there's a there's an upgrade happening for the church. And I see it happening, it's happening slower than I would prefer, but the church is starting to realize that God can handle every conversation. God can handle every season. There's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing he's intimidated by. Light wins. I mean, that's the end of the story is that light will overcome the darkness. <laughs> and, uh, and so I love the faith that you're carrying there, Julie, on that. It's so good. Michael, you know, I'm sure you'd have much to say here, brother. What, what's uh, what's the, the theme of the season for you? And, and uh, what have you been sensing prophetically in this season? You know, there's much that could be said, but for me, it's very simple. It's the season of organization. I think up until now, we were all so busy with all the things we could do, with the multitude of things that we had the ability to do, that I think part of what happened during this time is we were able to isolate and refocus, get our attention on the things that God said was important, and stop doing all the things that we could do in our own strength. Much of the weariness that has happened is because we were inundated with trying to serve everybody else's dreams, visions, their desires, their hopes that none of us actually built the thing God told us to build. Hmm. So in the midst of quietness, you can't hear a thousand voices taking you a thousand different directions. So you finally have enough space to just hear God. So it's been beautiful. The, the messiness has been beautiful. The quietness has been beautiful. The disarray has been magnificent. God has skilled us in enough of our own endeavors to finally get us back to his feet. 
because we've been running so much and telling him what he should do. We haven't paid attention to his voice in a long time. So this is a marvelous mess. Yes. Come on, brother. I love that. And that that recalibration, that reset, it has been happening. And and really even the the conversation on justice and and racial equality happening right now as a piggyback to COVID as far as successive events that of, of what's moving in the earth right now, it really is it's setting up people to really ask deep and personal questions. Uh, it is a time of reformation and things are being reordered because of the clarity coming in this season, not just about who we are, but what it is, uh, what the challenges are in front of us and how we can be in the center of our purpose. And so um, I'm excited to create a lot of room for you guys today to kind of share in general your thoughts of the time and the season and, uh, and, and bring awareness to really some of, the, some of the gaps that you kind of feel like are, are present right now. But I want to, before we do that, I just want to kind of set some foundation and uh, to end, end our conversation. Let's just start with justice and let's, you know, how do you, how do you define justice from a kingdom perspective? And Julia, why don't you start us off? What's your perspective <laughs> on justice and what, what does that mean to you from a kingdom perspective? Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I was like, Lord, see, anytime I don't know something, uh, I ask him because he knows it all. <laughs> yes, he does. And, and that's, that's just kind of that go-to, right? And so as I was asking the Lord about that, he just kept dropping into my spirit. It was really, um, I think it's Psalms uh, 85, where it says, mercy and truth have met together. Mercy and truth have met together. And that is where I think, you know, from a kingdom standpoint, when we are talking about bringing the kingdom, at, at advancing the kingdom here on earth, mm. it's this place where there is a, a, a blend, a marriage of mercy and truth. And that's what justice is to, to me. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, what uh, others have to say about that. But that's where the Lord really took my mind, that it is just this is where mercy and truth have met together. And in that scripture, it says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And so when the true justice of God is um, unlocked, unfolded, um, in, in, engaged in, right, engaged in the conversation, then that's when we can see righteousness. That's where we can see peace. That's where we can see solutions. Um, on a broad scale uh, level. So that's what I was just encouraging about. I was just like, wow, mercy and truth have met together mm. in that meeting point, at that at that point, at that vertices, right? That that's where uh, the justice of the kingdom is, lives. So that's what, uh, that's, that's what I was just thinking about. That's just so cool and exciting to me. Come on, that's so good. I want to hear from you, all three of you on this. Joseph, why don't you give us your thoughts, that kingdom perspective on, on justice. What's that mean to you? You know, that's beautiful, uh, what uh, Julia shared there, uh, where mercy and peace come together. When I was approaching it, I, I approached it from the kingdom perspective, but also understanding that the kingdom is expressed in our, even through our cultures as well, um, when it's redeemed, that is. And um, I was thinking of the French perspective on the word justice. Um, righteousness and justice are often the same word when they're translated. Le juste fait la justice, the just do justice. And and they are truly inseparable. And, and I see righteousness as a condition of being and justice is the result. It is the outcome of people living righteously. Um, and when you're living righteously and you that is truly where you, you see truth 
and you do mercy. Mercy is also something that is done. We see that in Micah. It is, um, they're inseparable from each other. And that's really, for me, uh, the key is that it is impossible to be righteous and not do justice. And it also is impossible to do justice without having some form of righteousness. Yeah, I love how I love that linkage there. I, I really believe that the the relationship between these two are very significant. And I think, you know, the body of Christ, you know, pressing into the relationship between these two things is essential for us to get the breakthrough that we actually need. And I think so much, you know, Michael, I'll come your direction here on this. You know, much of the church has defined righteousness as as uh, what I abstained from doing. Mm-hmm. But we we know that, you know, righteousness from from Christ is actually what he did do for us. Yes. And then we end up becoming ambassadors of that ministry of reconciliation, taking on his righteousness. Michael, why don't you speak into that relationship, righteousness and justice? Why mm. are they important and how would you define them? I think they're so important because you have hit the nail on the head. Um, the two are absolutely intertwined. But righteousness for us who are in this wonderful covenant with with the Lord, righteousness is the state of who we are now based on what Jesus did then, that he has made me righteous. He has given me his righteousness. He has clothed me with righteousness. So I am now in right standing with God because the only person in right standing in history gave me his position. He swapped places with me at the cross. He gave me righteousness. He took unrighteousness. He gave me grace. He took on my sinful nature. Now, out of me now being righteous, I must now do justice. So justice is what I give to all mankind based on the righteousness God gave to me. So if I truly walk in this new nature that I am at peace with God, then that peace with God makes me be at peace with all men. I am loved by God makes me show love to all men. I have been forgiven by God, so I'm willing to forgive all men. Justice to me is the proper measured response to unlawful activity in the earth, which you can only respond correctly if you now have a new nature in God. So without righteousness, there is no justice. That's amazing. And, I, you know, guys, feel free as, as um, we're navigating. I know I'm facilitating here, but feel free just to jump in. If someone stops talking, you got something to add. Please feel free just to jump in and to add it. You know, and I I, I was um, I heard a definition of, of justice that I thought was really, really beautiful by Mike Bickle, actually. Mm-hmm. And he defined it this way. He said it was the fierce removal of anything trying to keep people away from the love of God. Anything that would eliminate them from tasting of the love of God. It's, it's that fierce removal. It's that quick mm-hmm. response. It's that ag- and, and some sometimes aggressive. I think the word fierce is a beautiful word there because it, it speaks about the intentionality of God. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can't actually remove justice from God. God actually is just. And 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 really there's a there's a need to understand that injustice is sin. It's, it's actually a sin issue. It's actually the absence of God, isn't it? And, yes. and I think, you know, there's, there's a challenge right now, especially in the white evangelical church, and we're just going to go there because I don't even care, um, is that, you know, Barna Group, the, the data, you know, they're, they're a tremendous research company, and they're finding that white evangelical churches right now are 40% less likely 
to be engaging and agreeing that there is a need for justice and, and there is a passivity that's there. And I just kind of want to start there. Let's go for the jugular. Why not? Let's just start there. Let's speak into the fear that's here right now in the body of Christ that's blinding them to how God is wanting to move right now in this time. And, uh, and, and so, Michael, why don't, why don't you pick up here and, and just kind of open up this conversation for us? I think many times we go back to righteousness until you have had a full revelation that you are not who you used to be and that God has done a new work in your heart. From that place, you can now deal with injustice of the past because you no longer respond as though someone is pointing to your mistakes. They're pointing to the mistakes of your old man. If you are a new man, examining your old man's issues should not offend you because when I am a new man, I used to be a drunk. And if you tell me, well, you used to fall down and be angry, but guess what? I'm not that guy anymore. So let's examine my old issue so I can build new patterns because now I have to fix the marriage that now I'm a new man. But for 20 years, I was a falling down drunk. I was abusive. I was loud. I wasn't personally for those listening. Some of y'all are going, he was what? Let me walk through the story. Now, the testimony, when we hear someone give a testimony of their new nature, we celebrate them healing what was broken from their old man, even though they're now a new man. When we get to culture, cities and nations, that's the place where culturally we defend those issues because we don't understand that God forgives a city and a nation just like he forgives a person. But if I'm not willing to own it, I have to hide from it. So many of my dear white evangelical brothers and sisters right now have taken it as a personal affront when we talk about issues of the past, as though God didn't call out Israel for being unjust toward the foreigner, as though God didn't call out his people for not being good when it came to worship. God has a history of calling out nations and cities to make them repent. If he didn't, Nineveh would have all died and gone to hell rather than God sending a man to change them. So either we're going to reproduce the biblical pattern. So I say to my white brothers and sisters, come out of white guilt and come into kingdom building. Yeah. Let's build together. I don't need you to feel bad. I just need right. you to help us build. That's right. Bro, yeah. that's, that's so right. powerful. And that's a, an amazing invitation. And, and Joseph, I want to come your way. You know, the, there is, you know, there is a tension there uh, because of the guilt and condemnation and people not knowing really how to process. They're not sure what's true. They have a life experience. You know, my life experience has been very different than your life experience. And and because of my, you know, what, what can be the lack of experience in the white community, uh, it's easy to disengage what we don't understand or what we haven't personally experienced. And so, Joseph, what, how would you speak into this? And, and where, what, what does wisdom look like as we approach this? Yeah, I, I, I love what Michael's added there. Um, it's, and I was just going to spring from that um, with a story about David. Um, you may know the story. Um, everything's going well in the kingdom. Uh, he's, you know, they, they've uh, gone to war with their enemies and they've won. They have a bit of a peace that's going on. And then all of a sudden there's a plague. Or action, not a plague of famine, and they're like, "It's like God, what's going on? I, we've we're we're in right standing with you, and all of a sudden we're dealing with this issue. What is it?" And then God says, "Oh yeah, remember when Saul 
had attacked the Gibeonites that you had had covenant with, that was wrong. And I need you to go fix that. Mm. David didn't stop and say, wait a minute, but that was that was Saul. I'm, you know, I'm king now. Like, that wasn't me. David owned it in that moment for the nation of Israel. You know what? This may not have been me, but there needs to be something that happens. And something that's really beautiful about David's response, he doesn't go and prescribe his own response. He doesn't go and say, this is how we're going to make it right. He goes to the Gibeonites themselves and he says, it's how five can o'clock. we make this right? How can we make this right? And they are the ones that come up with the solution. That is a big deal to me. And, and I, I understand, you know, history is history. And, and I'm, I'm right along there with, with Michael that it's not about feeling bad about the past. It's about standing up to build, recognizing there is a wrong and was a wrong and taking it from there. Yeah. Julia? Yeah, oh yeah, that's good. I was just thinking about that. Um, because what we do, so I, I'd say it's 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 this idea that we have of what it means to be courageous and brave. See, we think it means, you know, being brave and courageous means, you know, I'm getting on social media and I'm, you know, you know, telling people my stance, you know, we have this keyboard courage, right? Or maybe I'm going to do something verbally, or maybe I'm going to protest, or we think that's what it means to be righteous and brave, right? And so I'm going to stand up for all of these things. But what, what, what the, the nuance that I feel like is being missed is that they're right, that bravery starts internally first. And for you to have a brave reaction to, okay, can I go here? So I was talking to some people the other day and this is why I said I love mess. Like I just, I love the messiness of relationship because true relationship you can have, if you've met someone and you guys hit it off and it's like, oh yeah, it's great. But then the first time you have a disagreement and you work through it on the other side is deeper connection. Right. But if we don't work through it, if no one is teaching how to work through it, how do I how do I feel what I'm feeling and then change my mind? The Lord said I need to renew my mind. Well, what does that look like? Right. And so there is not a lot of conversation that I've been seeing about how mind renewal works. We just say we need to think one way. Stop thinking this. Stop doing that. And it's like, OK, but I've been thinking this way for 30 years, people like it's just not going to turn off. And so it's like, here's the process. You be courageous enough to feel and experience that this something this is something new and I don't like it. And I was talking to uh, one of my groups and I was like, now guess what? Guess who loves what you don't like? God, don't believe me? Ask David. Look at David. He was always, Lord, kill him. Slay him down dead. Like just, <laughs> he was always asking, going after, like he was just pouring out what? His emotions and his feelings to the Lord about what he was experiencing at the time. But why is he a man after God's own heart? Because he didn't just stop there. In connection with God, he said, this is, I'm human. This is what I I feel. This is what I'm thinking. And I'm bringing all of that to you. Now I'm going to lay that down and listen to you. And God is saying, you know, yes, bring it to me. I want to know. I want to know how you are upset about this. I want to know how you feel like, well, I didn't do anything. Like, why is everybody kind of pointing this on me? Like, I didn't own slaves or I didn't do this or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And the Lord's like, yep, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Because when you bring me the truth, your truth, 
then I can really reveal to you my truth. Mm. And that's what's happening. Like, and I feel like there, but there is a scary, but there is a uh, nervousness about doing that. Like God, if I really admit some of these thoughts, like I've seen people online say some of the things I've been thinking and everybody pounced on them. So if I admit what I'm thinking to you, then God, are you going to think I'm a racist? Are you going to think this, that, and the other? And he was like, you're coming to me because you're my child. And I know how to love and correct. And so it's the process of being courageous enough to go, okay, I'm really going to submit. Like, these are some of the thoughts that I'm having. These are some of the ways that I didn't even realize I was thinking, but the Holy Spirit has been shining light on those things. Can I be courageous enough to first admit to God that this is what's happening? So before I can admit it to others, right, before I can do something, I have to really go there in my heart. And if all of my, if I'm afraid and that's what's happening, there is a culture of fear because perfect love casts out fear. That's why God says, come give it to perfect love. You bring it to me. The fear is gone. But we are looking at each other and saying, well, this is not a safe culture. If I say this out here, then all these other things are going to happen. And so when we go to the Lord and say, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I, what's happening. How do we strategically process through that? How can I be brave enough, Lord, to understand what where my heart really is? And I feel like there's a lot of quiet because there's a lot of reflection. And the pace is slower because it's like, did I really say that? Do I really believe that? Lord, let's just engage in that process. And so um, so once people do that, and so I applaud people who are doing that. I applaud people who are like, I, I really have to check my own mind. I had to check my own mind. I had to check my own heart on these things all the time because I was like, God, I don't want to respond out of me because Julia can respond out of Julia <laughs> and it'll feel good for a minute. And then I go, now, what was the fruit of that? Let me look at the fruit. Because the fruit of what I wanted to do, that's just nothing but uh, selfishness. Yeah, that's gonna make me, that's gonna make my flesh feel good. But then when I look at my brother, when I look at my sister, white, black, or otherwise, right? When I look at the fruit and the word says that only let those things that are edifying come out of your mouth. Well, it can't come out of my mouth until I, I have settled it in my head. And if Lord, if you are not showing me, and if I'm not working in that place, where I am no longer under guilt, then joy can't come in to give me a creative idea about how I can be a part of the solution, right? There's a creativity, I feel like, that's happening in uh, what's happening right now that's available to all of us. And I'm going to stop talking right there because... No, it's amazing what you're saying, Julian. And I think there's been a... Um, I love your observation about the, the quietness. I do sense it is different. I think there's been ignorance, passivity... Um, you know, blinders, uh, intentional, you know, disconnection from this conversation in the past. Um, and while there has been more volume now, generally, there is also still a quietness from significant leaders and people that do need to, to, to begin to represent these things. But it is different. I don't sense that it's passive. I do sense that there is a deep reflection that's beginning to happen. And it's been necessary and, and the reason that it's a deep reflection is, first of all, it's I have to understand what I'm going to accept responsibility for. And, and what is my responsibility? What, what, what do I play into? How, how does my role play into the culture? How does it relate with the story of who we are and who we've become? And, and then there's also just the challenges of the times of political leverage. Um, there's a lot of insanity out there that have... It has nothing to do with justice. 
uh, has nothing to do with actually being a solution. And, you know, and so it's, it's, it can be easy for people who are in fear or in reflection to have the loudest voice, which looks more like vengeance than justice, right? Because we know vengeance and justice are not the same thing. Um, and so it can be, you know, or party lines, political lines, a Republican response, a Democrat response and trying to get votes. And, you know, and, and then there's, you know, the whole, you know, socialism and, and conservatism and, and uh, you know, a, a, like all these things are wrapped up in all of this. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's creating a, a complexity. And ultimately, the thing I think that, you know, I want to encourage everyone watching right now. What we have to do is we have to still ourselves and make sure we know who we're getting our information from, which should be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It should be from the word of God and doesn't matter what's going on in the world politically, economically, those things don't have the right for us to turn our love off, our empathy off, our compassion off when our brother is in need. And that's really the part that's really broken my heart is I've seen people validate through a political narrative that I, I, I might even agree with. <laughs> you know, I agree with the politics. You're right that I think the politics are, are unhealthy, but ultimately that still can't get you in a position to turn your love off from those who've experienced injustice. This is the reality of the gospel. And Michael, I want to turn to you because how, how do we manage that responsibility of being a kingdom citizen and also being an American citizen. And how, how do we navigate that the political landscape, the political leverage? How do, we, how do we navigate Black Lives Matter as an organization and Black Lives Matter as a movement and as a cry for justice? How, how do we navigate these things and represent the heart of God in the midst of all of it? Well, a couple of things. One, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. The first thing is I just want to back up and then jump into that is if you practice principles continually, principles don't change just because the problems do. Now, what we're facing now is we're facing an absence of fathering. So, and I'm talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. We lost our fathers. What we gained instead were practice politicians who were trying to influence a generation to like them. But fathers wade into problems because they don't want to lose their children. Politicians wait to see what happens so that they can gain votes at the end. So we now have to figure out who do we have running some of the voices that should be speaking into this. Historically, and then I'll jump into the question, but historically, the church has always been, the people of God um, in mass have always been 10 years behind every issue that rises its head because we always wait to see what others will do. We were behind whether or not women should vote. It was churches preaching that women should stay home and be quiet because God has made you the weaker vessel. We were behind whether or not we should even deal with issues of our black people the same as human because we were three fifths of a person in the very beginning and churches were preaching, many churches in America and in Western culture were using scriptures on slavery to justify slavery. We were behind the issue of dealing with unjust wars. We were saying we shouldn't even speak up because churches shouldn't be in politics when our kids were being sent to Vietnam. So somewhere we've got to recognize that the prophetic voice of God was designed to be in the forefront of bringing social healing and reformation. 
and we have belittled the prophetic and brought low our fathers and mothers to where they wait to see what the polls say before they speak anything. Now that means you're a slave to the numbers rather than a servant to God. So we have to figure out if we're here to change a generation or we're here just to get more numbers. One of those will always cancel out the other. We're here to change generations. Now, what happens? We have to be real honest. The issue was here before it was politicized. So don't let political people take over an issue and change the conversation. Jesus was a genius when it came to politics. He never let someone demand that he say the answer they were looking for. People would ask him a question, he would change the subject. They would ask him a question, he'd talk about something else because he had a mandate. I'm here to deal with an issue. I won't let you confuse the issue by throwing in questions that don't matter. And what happens to many people now is churches, leaders across the nation are letting politics confuse the issue by throwing in the questions. So someone said to me the other day, what do you think about the whole Black Lives Matter movement? I said, I'm not so interested in the movement because before anybody made a sign, we were dying. Before anybody got on social media, before Sean King showed up with BLM, our kids were being hung from trees and burned alive. So black lives mattered long before anybody decided to put it on social media. I don't need anyone to tell me that we need to save black kids, need to save black kids in the inner city because there are black churches and leaders fighting in inner cities to save kids right now. So don't let people confuse the issue. We don't need people to confuse us by saying, but that movement is socialist. Remember the issue, not the movement is what started it. When they first started the BLM idea, it wasn't politicized. It became political when people thought they could make money off of it. So don't get caught up in political arguments and lose the juxtaposition that what we're here to do is transform the world and wherever there is injustice, justice must be seen. So if a woman is being abused, we don't need to ask the fact, what was she dressed with? What was she wearing? What did she say to the guy before he beat her up? We don't need to ask the kids, did you make your mom and daddy angry before they beat you with a coat hanger? The action before the abuse does not validate the abuse. So whatever the activity, you cannot validate racism, injustice, cruelty in any form just by backing it up to say, but there are socialists involved in the movement. I hope there are socialists and communists and atheists and non-believers. Why? Because the issue is not a Christian issue. It's a humanic issue. So humanity needs all humans involved. The only way to change a nation is if everybody gets involved. And we need to stop acting like we can't work with people who don't think like us because we get paid by companies that don't believe what we believe. So let's get real and change the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And if I can just jump in real quick, one of the things I was going to say is that diversity is not the, the, it's not a trend, right? It is something that the Lord really established when he created creation. Diversity was in his DNA. Diversity is in our DNA. Variety is in our DNA. He actually established it. So diversity was a thing long before we had diversity inclusion officers. It was something that God, we, we, we do not look around and say, oh, wow, you know, we just need to cut down all flowers but tulips. We just need tulips. Tulips are the only flowers that we need. It's like, well, yeah, I want tulips and I want roses and I want, you know, all the 
all the other ones. I need peace lilies. I need all of these things, right? So if God values diversity, if he values diversity of expression, if he values diversity of um, of, of gifts, right? In the, in, the, in the kingdom about a diversity of gifts, a diversity of expression. No two prophets are the same, right? They can hear the same, that we, we know in part. So one, because of the unique mixed bag of expression and diversity that God has given that one, will express something differently than another prophet who heard the same thing and it just comes out in a different way. So it's a diversity of involvement. And what's been happening is we, we are seeing singular expressions and we're trying to fit ourselves into a singular expression, whether that singular expression is two political parties. Well, I have to fit in this one or this one, or maybe that 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 political that expression is in you know Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter. I gotta I gotta find my stake. Women's lives matter, right? I gotta find my expression and fit into that. When what really God is saying is that there is a diversity of uh, there is a diversity of involvement. And until we get to wisdom about where God has us to participate, and I love what you know Michael was saying about it takes everybody. So what your participation looks like is different based on where God has you, what your assignment is, what your mountain is, what your giftings are. So I'm not gonna, you won't see me protesting in the streets. You will not because that is not my lane. What my lane, and I was asking the Lord about this. Um, you won't see me having conversations on Facebook because that's not my lane. Now I have conversations with people because I'm a people developer. And what I know I possess is the ability to help people walk through the process of getting free up here so that they can feel the love of God here so that they can do good here. Right. That's what I'm all about. And so I I stand in that. And so I'm not going to be distracted because someone says, you know, well, did you buy the T-shirt? I was like, no, I didn't buy I didn't buy the T-shirt or I didn't make the sign. Well, some of you, that's what God is calling you to do. So I think that's one of the things that's really um, what, what Michael was talking about, about the church being behind waiting for what. Right. Culture is dictating. Oh, if you believe this and you need to do it in this particular way, when the diversity of God is so vast, there are seven billion people on this planet. And each one of them, whether they know him to be father or they don't have a facet of him inside of them. So if that is true, then there is a way that God is going to produce righteousness and peace and systems. It's going to look different for the healthcare professional than it does for the legal professional. It's going to look different for the tech professional than it does the human services professional. It's going to look different. But if we are prone to say, just like, you know, if, if, if preaching only comes from the pulpit and I need to have a mic and I, and I can't be apostolic or prophetic or evangelistic or anything, any place except for the church, then we are limiting ourselves. And so I feel like what the Lord is doing, he is releasing the wisdom of the creativity to say, now here's how I am. I have already appointed for, for you to have a voice in this conversation to solve some problems in this particular fashion. And you as an individual, it's going to be something that already is in your heart and DNA to do. God's not going to ask me to sing. He's not going to ask me to sing. He's not going to ask me to be a, he's not going to ask me to go perform live because that will kill whatever 
Whatever the people wanted to do is like make a joyful noise. They were like, no, Joy, you need to sit down. That's just not your gift and stay in your lane, boo-boo. Right? Bless your heart. Now, uh-huh. No one, no one, right, bless your heart. Oh, bless him, Jesus, right? No one is, no one would belittle that fact because I know that that's not a skill that I possess. So I am not going to go after trying to sing or trying to write music because that's not what the Lord placed inside of me. However, if that is you, and that's a beautiful expression that God is bringing, we need multifaceted problems, need multifaceted solutions. Will you be a facet and stay in your part and do what God called you to do um, in this place? And that's how we can see systems change. That's how we can see individuals change. So, yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying. That's a real call to freedom for people to play their role and not have to fit into the mold of what the culture is saying that you got to do. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, from a race standpoint, there's so many stereotypes about how we're supposed to perform and what our life's order is going to be and what specific industries we're going to get in and, and, and all the things. And I, and I love, I, I mean, Julie, we could have a conversation just on that. And that I let's have Julie, let's have that conversation. Um, I, I want to have that conversation. Uh, and I want to get into some solutions here in a little bit. Um, Solutions are difficult in, in these big conversations because it's not simple. Um, but before we even try to even nudge on some of that, I really want to open up one last thing because I think I think we need to open up the conversation because there's a lot of people who feel like the idea of racism is invalid today because of the amount of progress we've seen so far, and they're and they're really seeing it. And Joseph, I want to come to you on this. Um, they're really seeing it from a static point of view rather than a dynamic point of view. And they look at, you know, the, the Emancipation Proclamation and they, they look at civil rights movement and then they look at their own life and they say, well, I'm not racist. And, and, uh, and we've had all this progress, you know, and, and it is true that there has been great progress. No one wants to go back to 1865. No one wants to go back to the 1960s. We definitely don't want to go in reverse here because there has been a level of progress, you know, but how can people... Um, who've not experienced racism, how can they understand the the raw emotion that's here? You know, um, there's a lot of emotion here and there's a lot of people have opinions about if the emotion is valid, if it's right, you know, all these different kinds of conversations, you know, you, um, and then if if you have, there's, if there's personal stories you even want to share, um, that would be great. But just want to get your thoughts here and just to bring a a, a level of gravity to the need that's here right now in America. Mm. Uh, I, I could share a few stories, um, but um, I think it really, I think to start, um, what happens when an African-American or someone of a darker skin tone or someone who has been discriminated against in the past sees some of the things that we have witnessed in, in the recent past? What happens in our hearts and our minds cannot be described. But I think that is much closer to grief than it's anger. It's mm-hmm. grief. Anger is really anger and frustration is really out of um, being told that what we're feeling isn't valid, or being told that we are blowing it out of perspective and blowing it out of proportion because we're not there anymore. We've gone further. Tell that to my experience. The reality is that if you have built your opinions on an issue without having conversations with 
people who have lived on the other side of the issue, your opinion is not valid. That's just plain truth. You cannot have a valid opinion on this issue without having a deep and real and genuine conversation with someone who has lived the experience. I would actually say not just someone, at least two, three, four, or five. And I know that that can be difficult. The statistics tell us that uh, that the average uh, white American, uh, I think it's 75% of white Americans only have white friends. So branch out, find somebody, even be courageous and talk to somebody at the bus stop or the train or in an airplane. Ask them what it's like to be black. I mean, honestly, if you ask that question with genuine desire to know and understand, you're gonna get a genuine response. You might get some anger, but if you listen, you'll at least understand the anger. And I think it really is important for us to um, be willing to listen. And it's, I, I used this analogy the other day uh, when somebody was uh, just kind of given pushback on this, this specific question. And, he, and I said, if I was struck by lightning, you know, we all know the statistics of being struck by lightning, especially the statistics of being struck by lightning twice. But if I was struck by lightning and my sister was struck by lightning, my mom was struck by lightning, my brother was ah, struck by ah, lightning, ah. my cousin was struck by lightning, I'm going to be terrified of lightning. I don't need to know that it only strikes one in a million people. It struck too many of my own. And to tell someone who is African-American, who has lived the African-American experience in America, just calm down, everything's okay, without validating the experience, that is where the anger comes from. Nobody's angry necessarily that someone was hurt. We're, I'll say we, because I am. We are angry when we see that something that is obviously unjust, people pass on it, make excuses for it, quote statistics of nothing that things that don't even matter. Well, what about black on black crime? Forget about the fact that people tend to have uh, commit crimes against their neighbors and black people next to each other. You know, we can. I, I took. Uh, I actually took a class that taught you how to lie with statistics. Literally, that was the point of it. You, I can convince you anything. Just tell me, tell me something that's true. I can tell you the exact opposite with statistics. It's possible to do, and that's what people are doing. Rather than looking at the issue, rather than bearing witness to what they see, they go to another place and say, well, what about this or what about this? How about we just focus on what has happened? What do we see and what is the experience? What is the experience that you cannot possibly understand? We have come a long way. There's been a lot of progress. And I mean, I was driving through Washington DC the other day and I was shocked to see that there was a huge corner, a roundabout full of people and every single face was white, mm-hmm. crying out for justice for black lives. That has never happened as far as I know. It's the first time. We have made a lot of progress, but to really make deeper, longer lasting progress, we have to be willing to listen to one another. Don't form your opinions on CNN or on social media. Talk to somebody yeah. and try to understand their stories and their, and their experiences. I didn't even go into my own stories. That's another time. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you're sharing, you know, Joseph, because there's, um, you know, there's dignity of value never comes from an institution. It's always going to come from a human being. And 
And so it's, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a laziness in the culture on both sides of the aisle politically where where it's just like, well, you know, I, I'd rather the institution take care of the problem or I'd rather this thing, ha you know, or or I just rather someone else figure it out. It's just it's someone else's leadership responsibility. And and there's a disengagement on some of those things. And um, which is where I find problems even with like social socialism based solutions is it actually, it may provide something physically, but it doesn't provide something spiritually or emotionally. It doesn't dignify the person with value because the spirit of adoption comes through mothers and fathers, which is really a call to the church to reawaken its need to meet the need of the widow and the orphan. Cause it's the only way that you they're know, valuable. Yeah. But there's you know, Go ahead. I, I I was just going to add, if you want to look at it in, in a terms of, well, leave it up to the institution to fix it. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are a part of a king that cannot be shaken. The institution of institutions. It is our job. It is our business. Anything that happens on this earth is ours to deal with. It is not up to anyone else. It is up to other people, but it is especially up to us. If I can. Just well, if I can, just to back up what Joseph said, I think it's so powerful because if we really look at this, we're kingdom people. Now, as part of a different kingdom, we have different parameters. In the parameters in which we operate, Jesus becomes our guideline, his life becomes what we replicate, and his model is what we live by. So, anything outside of that is actually not proper in the kingdom. So in the kingdom of God, the Jesus model is he's speaking to one nation. But while he's talking to one nation, he's breaking every construct that has been unhealthily built in the system of that nation. He specifically lets a woman grab him by the hem of his garment who should not have been in public. He's breaking religious law because he did not condemn her. He breaks the moral code by not condemning a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty, she was caught, but he doesn't condemn her. He lets her go free. He heals a man on the Sabbath. So he's breaking the laws of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. He's breaking it on purpose. He becomes a social voice for change by announcing that great faith was only found in two people in Israel. And both the people he said has great faith were other races a Greek and a Syrophoenician. He on purpose says in front of Jews, that's great faith. He uses another race as the example of the neighbor or the good Samaritan. He dealt with racism in the face of people by saying you, the children of Abraham have made other races, dogs, unhealthy, unacceptable. So I'm gonna call out great faith and what a neighbor should look like in public. Jesus dealt with racism regularly. On his way to crucifixion, he let Simon the Cyrene, a black man, carry the cross. He was dealing with racism. On the day of Pentecost, everyone from every nation heard in their own tongues the marvelous works of God. He was breaking nationalism. Jesus dealt with all issues of segregation, separation, and isolation in his ministry. It is a shame that now that we have him, we think we shouldn't. So we should be operating in the feet of Jesus to deliver people into the kingdom. The kingdom model heals. The kingdom model restores. And it's illegal for me 
to say I'm a true kingdom man if I don't find ways to connect and to include you so that God can restore you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I was just going to say, like, and just kind of speaking <laughs> as the only woman right here and just this this idea of like, I believe that God is releasing this mothering grace to bring people in for safety. Right. Because people are really um, to your point, you know, uh, Joseph, when you were saying like, um, you know, the statistics just say like you know, a lot of white people don't have many black friends. So some of you, some of the black friends who have white friends are getting the same conversation from seven or eight different, you know, 10, 12 different white friends. Like, hey, can you tell me what it's like to be black in America? And you're like, really? Boo. Like, I, So what is how do you respond and understand what's going on? So here's the truth of the matter. You're going to have all types of response. You're going to have all types of responses. This is where we really have to listen into the wisdom of God about where we go and who we go and what 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 the response of the person that you're asking is really there to teach us. Because responses can teach us something. Right. So there will be times where that person's like, absolutely. Come on in. Sit down. Let me tell you about Juneteenth. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. And then you might get that response. It's like, no, go read a book. And then you go back to God and it's like, well, I tried to connect, but let me understand. So if, if that happens, here's my caution for you. Here's my, here's my um, uh, suggestion for you is to really go ask the part of the father, what was going on in that heart? Ask the father. I'm a person of prayer. I love prayer. And before I start praying, I really ask God, give me your heart for this person, for where they are. Give me your heart for this person for where they are and what they're going through. And let me feel it. Let me experience it because that's what Jesus did. He did not just, he didn't have a head knowledge of what was happening. He had a, we, uh, it says in Hebrew that we don't have a high priest who was not acquainted with the things that we go through. He had a real deep experience with that. So if if you if you reach out to someone and and they and get maybe a, a response that's kind of rejecting, right? Well, then go back to the heart of the father and say, put that rejection down. That's not your excuse to go. Oh, I tried. They don't want me. What's happening? I kind of liken it to I kind of liken it to um, in the beginning January. Everybody was going after New Year's resolutions, right? And if you are a regular gym goer, you hate going to the gym in January. Because you can't get to, you have your favorite treadmill, you have your favorite thing, you got your your, your equipment here, you got your sets, yep. you can do your sets because all these people are now in your space, the space that you've occupied forever. You are a regular, per, you're a regular patron of that gym. So two things happen to you. Either number one, you got to now change your routine because I could used to do my, my workout in 45 minutes, but now there's a line five people deep. Now it's taking me an hour and a half. So you can be upset that that's what's happening and just, just say, I'm out of here until March when all you people fall off <laughs> your New Year's resolution. And then I can- March, come that's kind of generous, isn't it? I think it's like- February third. It's actually it's actually February, but um yeah, but just maybe maybe they hung on right, yeah. and so that's just kind of what's happening in this. So it, and every time, each time, and I and I hate to say that, but each time 
There is a new hashtag. There is a new say his name, say her name that's happening. It's this, it's just like this flood of people going, oh, I want to do something. You're my only friend. Can you tell me what's going on? Can I get this? You know, um, can you, can you tell me about this? Sometimes the grace is there for it. Sometimes the grace is not, but that doesn't mean so, but that's the, that's connecting to the heart of the father about what is really going on. And then extending that grace because sometimes we just don't have the capacity and we're trying to deal with it ourselves. Like, Lord, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Like, I'm submitting this thought, Jesus. I'm submitting this thought. I'm submitting this. And so what does that look like? And I feel like the Lord is really raising up people I re this, in this mothering grace to come on in and say, listen, this is how we can do these things. I saw this one lady, she was a psychologist. She said, this is how you cannot be re-traumatized all over again. She goes, I'm not talking to white Christians. I'm talking to black Christians right now. Here's what you can do to not be re-traumatized all over again. And she started talking about taking breaths and she starts talking about you know, um, um, taking our imaginations and submitting them to the Lord because it's you know elevating blood pressure and whatnot. So there is a there needs to be a peace and ease about how we can continue to have these conversations so that we don't burn ourselves out and quit when the work still needs to be done. But because there was so much energy and zeal in the beginning, but there wasn't a wisdom about the process to have this marathon continued that we stop. We need a wisdom of the Lord. We need a place of safety and reflection to go, how do I do this? How do I deal with my own feelings and deal with the feelings of this one over here? So I just wanted to help some of y'all so that those of you who are like, yes, I'm going to go reach out. Just know it's a 50-50 shot about what you might get. And it's <laughs> and, and, and in response to uh, some of the people. And it's not a bad thing. It's just you know understanding where they're coming from. So that's where I feel like do we have the heart of the father? And I think, you know, um, Michael, you were talking about this even today on on in your in your broadcast on Shape the Nations, asking for God's heart mm. for something before we engage. Yes. And and making that transfer because Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you and learn of me." Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so there's a way to handle the hard things, the rough things. But the only way we can handle them is through having the heart and mind of Christ in order to engage. That's right. That's yeah, good. That's really, really good, Julia. And I, and I think that there's a need for the nation to make a commitment to the journey and not an, a commitment to an event. You know, that's why, I mean, the riots, you know, uh, are a conversation. The protests are a conversation. Those are two separate things that are happening. Um, but you know, the I, you know, ultimately, I think protests are a lot like stadium evangelism. It's an event that gets everyone excited. Everyone shows up and says the same thing at the same time. But ultimately, all you're doing is creating more of an orphanage because you've adopted an ideology, but you don't have a mother and a father to love you in wisdom to grow the seed of what was gained at the event. And, you know, that's why I think the church has looked a lot more like an orphanage than a, than a home because we've made children in passion to say the five minute prayer and then we've left them alone afterwards. And uh, and so, you know, protests can be similar. These large mass gatherings they can they can they can baptize people, if you will, with a thought and a commitment. But we actually got to see this thing through and real justice, real reformation is not going to happen on the street. It's going to happen at the table. And we got to get to the table and we got to keep coming back to the table. We got to come back to the table and then we got to come back again 
And, and I think that's an important commitment to make. We're running out of time, unfortunately, here. And I want to honor your guys' time. And uh, But I, I very quickly, you know, how can we... How do you begin? I, I don't want to talk about what the solution is because honestly, that's an, it's hours and hours and hours. But how do you process what's happening right now to begin to prepare for the solution? How do you take what's happening right now? How do you be, and and how how do we do that? And then really, how do we do that for for whites and for blacks um, specifically uh, in, in that context? How do we come together and begin to prepare our heart for a solution, Michael? I think it starts like this, having honest conversations. Um, I'd say for my white brothers and sisters, uh, many of the churches who may be represented, having an honest conversation where you have to really get to the nuts and crux of it and just look around your house. Uh, does your, the leadership of your church look like your city? If you're in a multicultural city, but your leadership is only homogenous, it only looks like the pastor, then you don't want the city. You're not trying to reach the city. You're inviting the city to become people in the platform or in the congregation. But if they're not on the platform, then they have no leadership skill in your eyes, which means those who come in will eventually recognize you want my money, but you don't want me. Um, so you have to actually start very simply getting people involved in your leadership structure who look like your city, not just like you. Secondly, how do you heal the issues in your city? So start looking around. First, be honest. What are the problems in your city? How do you want to heal them? Then look 10 years down the road. What do you want your city to look like in reverse engineer plan? How would I heal this city 10 years from now? Then what can I start doing in my own church? Because you build it in your house and then you take it to the city. And so start real simple. And for black churches, I say we have to come to the place real simple where we stop looking for everyone else. And I don't, most of us aren't doing this, but the mindset with the young ones now who are out there is we want everybody else to help us get breakthrough. And one of the reasons why we had such breakthrough in the civil rights movement was there was many people involved, but there were fathers and mothers of the faith who were frontline organizers who would preach your socks off on Saturday night, bring the Holy Ghost on Sunday, and then lead the march on Monday. And nobody could argue with their power because they could pray the glory down and then stand there in front of a water hose. So when many people say, well, the black church, where are their leaders? We were convinced not to have them. And so we need to get back to the hour where we have righteous men and women of God who stand up. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason that Goliath should be removed and let David's arise? in churches again, African-American and white, Hispanic and Asian. Let's let David's rise up. Let's come together for the purpose of breaking healing. Let's have real conversations. And then at the end of the day, let's really listen to each other. If all we're doing is giving each other the reasons that we're all right and everybody else is wrong, we don't want to heal. We just want to be heard and have things go back to normal. If we want to heal it, we can. If we want to talk, we'll do it for the next 20 years. Bro, that's, that's amazing. Great word for the church right there to make sure that they look like their city. I think that's a lot of wisdom. Uh, that's tremendous. Uh, Julia, what do you got on that? Well, I was just going to say it just goes back to something. The reason you and I connect, grew is because um, you say this often, and I love it. What is right? Not who is right. What is right? Not who is right. And that is the way that you start to prepare. So asking God, like, and, and as believers, and, I, and I'm really like, I'm only talking to believers. 
because I just, uh, yeah, I'm only really talking to believers and asking what is right, God? What is the righteousness here? What is the right standing? I have right standing with you. And how do I have right standing with others? And what does that look like? And as I am constantly into that, you know, what is right, not who is right, then God can't, I am opening, then creating that environment for the Lord to really show me and give me a new idea. So that he can in love say to you, yeah, this this is what is right. And because, and honor, he dignifies your intellect. So when he says, this is what is right, and you know in your mind that you are not doing what he said, you make that connection and go, Oh damn! I, well, I, I, and so he is actually teaching you how to interact with others by the way that he interacts with you about changing your heart, about changing your mind. So when we submit to that and we get into the purpose in, in the practice of God asking, "What is right here? What is your? What does the king? The king is in charge." This is not my show. This is not my kingdom. As an ambassador, it's the country that I come from. It's their official position that I possess and that I speak on. But if I never ask my home country, their official position, if I don't know that and I just go out and say whatever I want to say, then I am misrepresenting um, right. my community. I'm misrepresenting my country. And I feel like a lot of us, we have to, we think we are, we, we are presuming that we know what God wants. We're presuming that we know what God wants, but we've never actually asked him what that was or to have a conversation with him about what, if the assumption or the revelation that I got five years ago is still in play today, or is there some new word or new fresh freshness that you have? So I feel like that's, that's where we, you know, we can begin to, again, train ourselves to hear the solutions is by asking the Lord what is right here and then recognizing when what we believe is not in alignment with what we believe and then conforming our will to his. Um, that is going that is the that is the practice of really com showing compassion to others. So when I ask my brother, well, what's right here? And he gives this opinion and I feel that and then I can then conform my thought to what his experience was and I can connect with him in a deeper level then that can open up the doors for these solution conversations that are multifaceted. Yeah, that's tremendous, Julia. And I, I think that really, you know, who, who is right versus what is right is really that shift into a wise perspective rather than just representing my own truth or, you know, and the identity politics in the nation right now are just devastating because it's hyper leveraged on, on, on picking who is right. And, and we really do need wisdom. I think that actually is one of the core values of wisdom is understanding that the kingdom of God is about what is right and not about who is right. And of which I'm doing my first wisdom school uh, with Matt Gonzalez here in August, shameless plug, propheticcommunication.com, go register. Um, but there, there's a need for real wisdom to, ha to be had by the body of Christ, especially so that we don't get caught in the, in the us and them and uh, and become the uh, the masters of of good and evil. We need to be the the, the you know the partakers of the tree of life. Joseph, um, what are your thoughts there, man? Yeah, uh, just building on what Julia shared about what is right, uh, and also Michael, I think was talking earlier about all the spin doctors, the way that uh, so many ways that um, someone can take an event and attach their political movement to it or attach their political party to it or 
um, we do need to go back to what is right. We do need to go back to um, what is what have we actually witnessed and what can be said about it. Um, I've been studying a lot about um, what uh, justice looked like in the Old Testament, actually, um, and or how God prescribed judges to judge. And there's some things that really stand out. And he says, hey, don't pervert justice by taking a bribe. That right. sounds pretty obvious. Don't pervert justice by siding with the rich, presumably probably to take a bribe. Don't pervert justice by siding with the poor. Well, well, yeah, you know, if we side with the poor, at least they get something out of it. But that's not justice. Side with what is right. Period. Yes. It's not about who's advantaged or disadvantaged. It's about it, it. Nor is it about whether the person was black or white. It's about what is right. And um, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend about the specifically the George Floyd, Floyd case, and there was a little bit of back and forth. Not a lot. Not you know, it, it was uh, just pointing out the perspectives that are out there. And I had to keep bringing it back to this point. Was it right for a man to die with a knee on his neck for how many minutes was it? I already forgot. It's so many. Um, eight. Eight minutes. Yeah, and 46 like, seconds. 46 seconds. That's right. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to exaggerate. But, I, but yeah, eight minutes and 46 seconds. Is that, did you witness that? Does that say something to you? Forget about whether or not it's a black or white issue. It is, <laughs> but forget about that. Was it right for this use of force to be used on this man in this particular moment? Was it right for police officers to use the amount of force that they used on a 140 pound young man in Colorado? Um, who was arguably, I think they actually believe he was autistic. I mean, was, we have to, there's a scripture in Leviticus that says, um, if you hear uh, public adoration to testify and you were witness to something, but you do not speak out, you bear your own guilt. This to me means that we can't be neutral. What's interesting about this day and age is that we are all witness. I mean, back then it would have been like whoever was passing by has to come forth and say, what did you see here? But today, not a single one of us can say, well, I didn't see it. We've all seen it. And we all have to say something about it. I'm not saying that you have to go out and, 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 and protest. I'm with Julie on that 100%. I haven't been to a single protest myself, staying in my lane. It, but we do, when the issue comes to the forefront and somebody's calling on you and saying, well, what do you say about that? You know, you do have to have an opinion. You have to be able to look at the reality of the situation without all of the spin. And from a kingdom perspective, was it right what happened here? Should something be done about it? We have to be willing to go Good. So powerful, you guys. I mean, I, I just, yes, 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 and yes, and yes. Um, we're just so out of time. And I know you guys have hard stops. We got to, we got to honor 
because you guys have a lot of things going on. I think, Michael, I think you have, what, like five live events today? <laughs> Pretty much. This is a man that's in demand and has the kingdom inside of him. So um, you guys are all very busy, and I know you have commitments today. So um, can we just pray real quick? Can we just end there that God would just stir our hearts for justice, that the person of Jesus would make himself real to us in this season, that we would come higher, that we'd see higher, that we'd come into an elevated perspective, that we'd crawl into the eye of God and see things from his vantage point. You guys, let's just release. Come on, let's just come on. If we can do it briefly, I do want to honor our time. Julia, why don't you start us off? Then Joseph and Michael, why don't you close us? Father, we just arise and take the responsibility that you have given us to be uh, your representative here on this earth. And Lord, I just stir up in us this uh, the confidence and the courage to do that, to lean into you and, and to hear what is right, to lean into you for your heart for people. God, I just pray that the, the compassion that compassion will be released, Lord, that creativity and solutions will be released. Father, that freedom comes, Lord, for it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. So Lord, let us not pick up yokes of bondage once you have decided that we are free. God, I glorify you for conversations that bring transformations, that bring um that the, the conversations that bring trans that revelations that bring transformation. In these your people, God, we thank you for the move all over the world that you're doing in Jesus' name. Father, we come to you. Um, and we ask for your grace. We ask for you for your perspective on things, Father. Not a single one of us pretend to have the answer, but we are listening in and we desire to hear from you, God. And, and Father, we, we're all coming at this from a different perspective because we've all had different life experiences. But God, with the kingdom inside of us, with the kingdom inside and all around your people in this nation and all around the world, we ask you, Father, to reveal your perspective that we can stop leaning on our own, that we can stop leaning only on our experience and that we can truly listen to your voice and what you have to say about a given matter. There's so many people who wanna speak and who want the platform and want to speak into our hearts and our minds and, oh God, we want your voice to prevail. We're asking you, Father, to speak to our hearts and teach us to live out of the righteousness that you've given to us in Christ. Teach us, Father, to do justice because that's what the righteous do. And we ask you, Father, to show us what that looks like in this day and age when there's so much confusion, when there's so much, um, so much backlash for those who want to do what is right. And we're asking you, Father, to make us brave, to be able to stand up when no one else does. And we ask you, Father, that you would help us to do this all with a spirit of grace and love and mercy. Understanding, Father, that without you, we ourselves would be dead and blind in our own trespasses. And we ask you, Father, that you would open up our eyes, all of us around this nation, especially in your body. In the name of Jesus. Father, we ask in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, that you would cause us to fulfill the prayer that he is still praying. The one prayer that he is still praying as he sits beside you, 
Come sit here at my side till I make your enemies your footstool. Lord, you prayed one prayer. Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. We ask, Lord, that you would rend our hearts, that you would cause our hearts to be broken free from all the prejudices, the ideas, the identificational issues we've all had from the past. In any place where we may be prejudiced, angry, offended, or separated from our brothers and sisters, whatever their color or class, whatever generation or nation, we pray that you would cause us to see each other with your compassion and your mercy, that we would be one even as you and the Father are one, that we would fulfill in the earth your prayer, Lord, that when we come together there, you have commanded the blessing. Lord, we want to see your blessing resting on every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. In the places where we hide from truth, may truth find us. May courage meet truth. And may mercy find our homes. And last of all, Lord, touch every leader, touch every voice in the kingdom of God that at this hour who are wondering, what do I say? Should I speak? I pray, Lord, for each one that they would find the courage of your conviction that they don't have to have great words, but let them speak enough that what could be torn will be put back together. Let cities be restored. Let nations live in the peace of your goodness. And let leaders speak with the power of knowing if they speak from your principles, your power will always back them up. Bless this nation, Lord. Bless our government. Bless our leaders. Let them all hear your voice. And then do as you lead. And in any place where we are wrong, reveal it, Papa. And let us humble our hearts before you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, I just can't thank you guys enough for coming on today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for pouring in. You guys, if you're watching right now and you're grateful and something stuck out to you, put it in the comments right now. Drop a nugget, put in there when they said this, or maybe it's just a word or a phrase, or maybe you can just experience the Lord in a powerful way as we were sharing. Just let us know what you were sensing, what you were feeling. We'd love to hear it right now. And uh, and and make sure you just say thank you to these guys because they are absolutely amazing. Joseph, Julia, Michael, thank you guys. Uh, you guys carry wisdom, and I love your friendship and uh, and the journey of relationship and uh, you know, Michael, we're, we're just getting connected, actually, and I have so enjoyed receiving from your ministry online, and it's been great to begin to build friendship with you now. And uh, Julie, of course, we carry this wisdom, business, interaction, solutionaries. We are, we're going to do that in and, and some powerful ways. And Joseph, you really are my brother, and I've learned so much from you, and I just want to thank you for what you've taught me over the years. It means so much. We need all your voices. Thank you, guys. And uh, I love you, and I appreciate you. And uh, we're going to let you guys sign off and get on with your day, okay? God bless you guys. 